Wednesday and welcome to the Colby Daniels podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products. And when you order online at abotanicalcompany.com, use the discount code Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, Colby Show to save 15% off your online order. Again, abotanicalcompany.com. Whether you're looking for Kratom, CBD, or the new Delta 8 capsules, make sure you check them out. We can save you money. The website is fantastic, and you get easy and safe pickup with Artisan Botanicals. So, again, educate yourself on all of these things and how they can benefit your life on a daily basis. Give them a call, 405-458-9699, if you have any questions whatsoever. And, again, check out the website, abotanicalcompany.com. Discount code Colby Show for 15% off your online order. All right, we uh, have a lot to talk about today, obviously in the football world, uh, still looking back at the college football season and, and Alabama's dominance, but a big look forward to 2021. And I think when you compare the top teams in college football from a known factor, what comes back, who has the most coming back on both sides of the football, it's an interesting conversation. And I think as far as the Big 12 goes, Big 12 football fans and Oklahoma fans and Iowa State fans, for that matter, have a lot to be excited about going into 2021. Not to mention, we'll look back at Super Wild Card Weekend. Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns with an incredible win. They get ready to do the impossible, I think, in most people's minds and, and play the Kansas City Chiefs, who are kind of like the Alabama of the NFL, right? I think when you just look at how difficult it is to contain Patrick Mahomes in that offense, uh, there's, there's an uphill climb there for everybody in the NFL. But I'm excited about that matchup as well. And we're going to talk about Baker Mayfield and just the job that he did in Cleveland this year. And look, I've said this uh, earlier in the week, and we'll discuss it a little bit today, but I'm not sure from a mentality standpoint that there are a lot of players in the NFL that could have survived the pitfalls that that you know anybody over the last 20 years has dealt with in Cleveland like Baker Mayfield has. So, so here we go. Today's conversation on the Colby Daniels podcast with Aaron Davis. Aaron Davis, what is going on today? Not much. Uh, trying to fight the urge to go to Whataburger or go to Chick-fil-A after this. I, I don't know if I told you last week. So I, uh, Rosie, my fiance, and I had a bet uh, the last week of December to see who could make more money doing our job or whatever we do. And uh, she won. And as a result, I am now vegan for the entire month of January. Oh. Full vegan. Like, just everything. Oh. So... It's uh, it hasn't been too bad. So, like, I definitely feel a little bit lighter. Like, I'm not bloated walking around. Like, I I don't know if that's because I'm not eating meat or just because I'm eating like a ton more vegetables. Yeah. But, uh, energy's tough. Like, I am exhausted constantly. Really? Yeah. So, from what I've been told, like, the hardest vitamin to get as a, on a vegan diet is B12, which is like. I, I, from what I understand, it's like the energy, like basically what gives your body energy. Right. And so like, it's very, you have to like supplement that. And I haven't been doing that. So I'm just like constantly tired. Oh, okay. But I, but I don't feel fat necessarily. Oh, there you so. go. Yeah. That's a positive. Positive, right? Yeah. Yeah. Also the convenience that that's a pain in the ass. Right. Cooking, like cooking at home is easy. Cause like we just buy vegetables and cook them. But like when I'm by myself and I have to go find something to eat, yeah, I have like three options. But that's tough. Yeah, so every day is a battle not to just go get a cheeseburger or you know Chick Fil A sandwich. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, I heard Chris Paul, like, I, I probably listened to this interview maybe a month ago. Uh, it was not long before Christmas, and he was talking about the plant-based diet, obviously, that everybody knows he's on and how it's kind of, like, turned around his body and not getting injured and just, you know, he feels a lot better. And I thought it was really intriguing to the point that I actually, I was considering it, and I'm not saying I've ruled it out. I just, I love meat so much that, I mean, that's that's like my diet, Um that I, I'm like kind of scared to like cut that out. But like when he talks about how much more energy he has on this bl- plant-based diet, that's what was most appealing to me. It wasn't really anything else other than he just talks about like how his body just feels so much better and his recovery, t- like he's not, he didn't wake up like stiff trying to get out of bed and uh, you know, just all those things. But the energy level was like right. the main thing he talked about. Like he just feels like he has so much more natural energy on the plant-based diet. So hearing you kind of say, and, and I know it's not the same thing, but um, yeah, I guess, I guess if you, yeah. if you are supplementing, it makes a, a, a much bigger difference. Yeah. I would definitely imagine he has a nutritionist that's making sure that he's supplementing like B12 and stuff like that. Right. And I also don't exercise. So that's probably, <laughs> I'm sure if I was exercising, I'd probably would just naturally develop more energy. Yeah. There you go. But I definitely like, I, I feel better walking around. Like it's just like the first three hours of the day that are hard for me. But like after 10 o'clock, like I feel pretty energized. Like I feel yeah. pretty good. And then I go to bed at a normal time and then I wake up and like the first 20 minutes I feel good. And then I just, maybe it's just cause I'm like, I wake up at six 30 and I just lay on the couch for another two hours. Maybe there if I was go. doing stuff, I don't yeah. know. I'll have to try it out. I have to actually try and do something as soon as I get up, but it's not too bad. Like, we made uh we had burgers last night with uh, some of that like Beyond Meat and the burgers taste the same. Chicken's tough for me, but it's not bad. The burgers like, are pretty close to to normal tasting at least. Yeah, yeah. Like it's so you could make like a you could buy some Beyond Meat at Walmart or whatever and cook it, and it's gonna taste pretty similar to like what you would get at like a fast food place. It's not gonna taste okay. as good as if you bought like right actual beef and cooked it on a grill or something like that, but. I can't tell the difference between it and like a fast food burger. Okay. Somebody told me once that like a lot of those foods, it's not really the taste that's a lot different, but the texture is quite a bit different. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what it is, is the texture is pretty similar to like the, the cheap, like frozen patties yeah, that you get yeah. at like Burger King or something like that. Now I'm not going to say it's Whataburger cause you know, I'm a <laughs> uh, it's not bad. Uh, chicken, the chicken texture is like, it's not even close. Yeah. But so are you I'm, drinking coffee? Like, are you, or getting like Red Bulls or anything like that? No. Yeah. I drink coffee every morning. Okay. Uh, I might should maybe start doing a second cup or something like that. We, we have B12 like in our pantry cause Rosie <laughs> takes it occasionally. So I just realized. So it's not even a matter so. of you like not having it readily available. It's just like, just not I taking it. I was there. Yeah. So I've <laughs> taken it the last couple of days. So see if it starts having a little bit more of an effect. There you go. There you go. Well, I uh, I said to open the podcast yesterday. Um, I'm like fighting that that like end of the college football season blues, but at least we have a few weekends of the NFL left. But the college the college season is done, and we're kind of like moving on to the the preseason polls for next year and a lot of the like draft conversations. Well, the committee, about time- Aaron, the committee screwed it up. We didn't get a good national championship game. Okay, so damn you, committee! I think we've talked about this uh, quite a bit the last few weeks. Alabama wasn't going to lose to anybody. Like Ohio State seemed like the team that was going to give them the best matchup. Yeah, and 
through like the first quarter and a half. I think that it seemed like it was going to be a pretty good matchup. And yeah. I mean, I don't know how much of an impact Trey Sermon would have had if he would have, you know, been able to play the game. Um, he can't. I mean, he. It's not like he could get on the field and try and cover Devonte Smith, which I. Or, yeah, Devonte Smith, and I don't even understand. I, I thought that Ryan Day I, and the coaching staff at Ohio State. I don't understand why they just allowed Devonte Smith to get one-on-one coverage so much during that first half. Like, just you. He, he won the Heisman. Even if he didn't win the Heisman, you know that he is an elite-level receiver. And they basically throw to him, what, like 70% of the time this season? Yeah. I mean, the entire offense on Monday night was basically throw it to Devontae or, or hand it to, to Najee or, or a few dump downs to Najee. But it was right. like literally, we always talk about this, just give the ball to your playmakers and let them be playmakers. And that's exactly what Sark did. He, he was like, this is going to be the Najee and Devontae show. And we, you know, some credit to Sark- to Sarkeesian. Like he did a really good job of moving Devontae around yeah. and like uh, kind of getting him involved in a little bit more creative ways. But still, I mean, you you know what number he wears. If you're the defense, if you're the DC, if you're Ryan Day, like you just like you got to tell them like key on this dude. Like no matter where he's at, make sure that you guys bracket or double team him or whatever you're gonna do. Like if he's in the backfield, figure it out. Like we'll figure it out yeah. like pre snap. But you like how can you let that dude? have 200 yards in the first half. Yeah. I mean, I know how you can do it. You don't show him the respect that he deserves, and he's an unbelievable wide receiver, and he's just going to destroy you. But I, I thought that was kind of disappointing. I just thought that it really just felt like Ohio State didn't show up for this game, honestly, I, which is see, a shame. I don't, I don't feel they, like that's the case. I just feel like, it, to me, this was more of a testament on who Alabama is this year than anything negative about Ohio State. Like, I'll give you an example of the the semifinal game defensively. I thought Notre Dame did about as good a job as anybody in college football is capable of doing against Alabama. Like if you hold out that yeah. Alabama offense to in the 30s, like that's a that's a win in my book because they're just too good everywhere. Their offensive line is the best in the country. Obviously, they're the Joe Moore award winners. I mean, Landon Dickerson's the Remington winner, Alex Leatherwood is the Outland winner. Deontay Brown is the most massive human being on the planet. Uh, I mean, Mac Jones wins the the, the O'Brien Award. You have the uh, Doak Walker running back. You have the Bolitnikoff receiver. Like, they, are, they can just beat you everywhere. So, Notre Dame holding them to 35, I think, is, is as good as can be expected. The problem is Notre Dame offensively, you know, couldn't get it done. In this game, the I, the only chance I gave Ohio State was because offensively, I felt like they could do what Florida did, and that's try to get in a shootout, and maybe you you can potentially keep pace. I Again, I didn't think that would happen, but understanding how many weapons Ohio State had offensively, there was at least a chance that they could maybe try and match Alabama's offense. But, I mean, when you have Mac Jones being as efficient as as he's been all year long, and you have Devontae Smith, who's just a, a game changer. Najee Harris out of the backfield. You can't take anything away. Like, the second you start dedicating too many guys to Devontae Smith, you're going to get completely run over in the run game. Or, all of a sudden, you're going to have John Mechie on the other side in a one-on-one matchup scoring 80-yard touchdowns every play. There's there's just no good way to defend that offense. They have too many dangerous weapons. Right. And, and like like I said, I don't think that there was going to be any team in college football this year that was going to be Alabama. Right. But I just kind of look at it from the perspective of Bill Belichick has made a 
it, like he's known for always picking one guy on the off the opposing offense and just yeah. removing them from the game. And if they get beat by the other guys, and they get beat by the other guys, but Ohio State just. I mean, I know Najee Harris didn't have a great game on the ground. They held him to under four yards of carry, but he still had, what, 70 yards through the through the air? Like, I just feel like you need to pick one of those dudes. Like, you just ha- you have to eliminate one of those guys. And if Najee Harris runs for 200 yards, then he runs for 200 yards. But, like, you have to eliminate one of them. You can't just say, we're just going to go one-on-one and just play a normal game against this offense because, like you said, there's too many weapons. I'd rather, I'd rather get beat by two guys – then have to then get beat by three guys. I just, I just, I, I felt like Ohio State's coaching staff just didn't coach as well as they as they could have. And honestly, like I don't know if there's any level of coaching that they could have done that would have won them the game. Yeah, but maybe it could have been closer. Yeah, I, I, I think the only way it's closer, honestly, is if Justin Fields is a little bit more like the guy that played in the semifinal and. I, I don't want to make excuses for the guy. Um, I'm, I'm obviously a, a big Justin Fields fan as far as like him going to the next level and being the next best quarterback behind Trevor Lawrence. But like there, to me, there was a clear difference in maybe his confidence level or, or maybe just how comfortable he felt with his body, like the pain tolerance and being able to really pull the trigger down the field. Like he, he looked hesitant. There were, there were times that it looked like he had guys down the field that he could have pulled the trigger and he didn't. Uh, so I wonder how much of that was just like he didn't think he had enough juice to get the ball there. Um, but, I mean, when Justin Fields wasn't wasn't throwing the ball the way that he did in the semifinal, to me there was just no chance. Because, again, offensively, if, you're, if you have to take away one, I know Devontae Smith is the Heisman winner, but to me there's a little bit more risk in the other team having to throw the ball than just allowing them to... Because, again, the best offensive line in the country and Najee Harris and winning the time of possession, I'd rather them, I'd rather make them throw, I guess, than just let Najee Harris run the ball down my throat all night. So, I don't know. It's it's tough. There's just do, there's not a good way to defend them. Yeah, yeah. You're damned if you do. You're damned if you don't right. against that team. So, uh, obviously kind of a bizarre year in college football. Definitely a bizarre year. But looking at this Alabama offense, we saw enough from them, specifically this Alabama offense. They played 13 games. They played essentially a full season. Maybe in a regular year, they would have played like one or two more games. But they yeah. played 13. Is this an all-time great offense for you in college football? Like, is this up there with last year's LSU or 2008 OU? Like, I remember you had the tweet a couple of weeks ago about the five best offenses in college and the BCS era. Is this yeah? Is this up there for you? I think it is. Um, yeah, I, like the one element of this offense that. I feel like kind of holds me back from just going all in on calling them the best is Mac Jones. And like, I say that and Mac Jones has the best passing efficiency season of all time. Like he, his passing efficiency season this year was better than Joe Burrows. It was better than Kyler and Bakers. I mean, the top five passing efficiencies in, in college football history are Mac Jones followed by Joe Burrow. And then I think it's Kyler Tua and Baker. That's a really impressive list, and that just shows you how good Mac Jones was this year. But I think in terms of just, like, physical tools, he doesn't strike me as being as talented as the rest of those guys. Did you see the the picture that got tweeted with him of him with oh, his yeah. shirt off? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. The physical tools is not a trait. He lo- yeah, he looks like me with my shirt off. So, right. Uh, 
Yeah, like that's the one the, the one element where I'm like kind of reserved because I just don't think he's on the same level of, of those guys. At the same time, like his championship game numbers, better completion percentage than Joe Burrow in the championship a year ago. He had one more passing yard than Joe Burrow did in the championship a year ago, and they both had the same number of touchdowns. Like Joe Burrow last year in the national title game threw for 463 and five touchdowns. Mac Jones went for 464 and five touchdowns with a better completion percentage. Like... He doesn't, he doesn't have a cannon for an arm. He doesn't put the ball in a bunch of tight windows. But I want to get your thoughts on this because the one thing about Mac Jones that really stands out to me, his ball placement is elite. When you watch Alabama play, like almost every pass is put in a position where the receiver can literally just catch it and just keep running or like catch it and be able to make a move to make a guy miss. Like he rarely makes a receiver have to slow down or speed up or change direction, or turn their body to catch a football. His ball placement is so good that when guys catch the ball, they're able to make big plays. So that's that's the one aspect that I give Mac Jones a ton of credit for. All that said, I, like I'll just compare them to LSU a year ago. If you're giving me the option of Joe Burrow or Mac Jones, I'm taking Joe Burrow. But everywhere else, I mean, I, I would take Najee Harris over Clyde Edwards-Alaire. The receivers are probably a wash just because I think LSU is a little bit deeper. Um, Devontae Smith, obviously, is is the best of that group, probably. But, I mean, Jay Waddle, again, he wasn't there for, for a lot of the season, so I don't know how, how you really categorize him as, as far as being a part of this offense. But the receivers, probably a wash. I would say Alabama's offensive line is significantly better than LSU's a year ago. So, there you go. There's pros and cons. I, I think they're definitely top five, but I don't know that I could just, without a doubt, say... They're the number one offense in the like BCS CFP era. Yeah, I, that LSU team was just. I mean, I don't, I don't know that there's ever going to be there. There might be, but I don't know that confidently that there will ever be an offense that will be as good as that LSU offense was last year. Yeah. Um, they just don't so, run the ball as dominantly as Alabama can. Like that's right. the you know, that's the one thing about them. So, Not that they're bad, but I, I I do also I think it's a little bit hard for me to confidently grade Mac Jones because his receivers got so open this year. Like I mean, just look. I mean, the game Monday, like yeah. th- there were multiple plays where Devontae Smith had nobody within five to ten yards of him, con- like on multiple plays. Yeah, and that's I mean. Like I said, that's a guy that should never be that wide open, and I and I don't know. Obviously, he's an amazing receiver. I don't know if it's if he's going to translate to the NFL. And Devontae Smith is just like an elite level, like he's Julio Jones or whatever. But right. uh, to me, Mac Jones kind of reminds me of Chad Pennington a little bit. Uh, I think Mac's arm is a little bit better downfield. Like I agree with you that he doesn't have amazing arm strength, but I think downfield throws are a little bit have a little bit more than what Chad Pennington had. Yeah, uh, especially after the injuries. I don't. I don't remember as well Chad Pennington at at uh, oh I don't really remember Chad Pennington at Marshall at all honestly but I remember him in the early days of the Jets but I think that's probably what you're looking at with Mac Jones if he translates to the if he goes to the NFL and the team takes a chance on him it's probably just uh, you know the intelligent quarterback that's going to be super accurate and short to intermediate passes and then just struggle downfield in the NFL yeah yeah it's tough because like one one thing at Alabama. That, that won't happen in the AFL, like, he, no matter where he gets drafted, he's going to be under pressure significantly more than he was at Alabama. So that's the first thing. Yeah. 
Like he just he had so much time at Alabama, and that's that's not his fault. I mean, uh, it's it's I, I always I always hate to like kind of discredit a guy for having a lot of time and being on a good team, but it's it's not so much that I'm I'm saying this as a negative as much as like a question mark. Like, how does he deal with consistent pressure in the pocket? I, I don't know the answer to that because it didn't really happen at Alabama. But the one thing you have to give him credit for again, even though he doesn't blow you away with like the the you know small window throws and the you know the monster arm down the field, he 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 doesn't miss. Like you talked about Alabama receivers being open. Like I, I think it's fair to question, you know, what he looks like in an offense where receivers aren't open, but given the circumstance, like when the guys are that open, he doesn't miss. He finds the open guy almost every play. And he doesn't miss that guy. He hits them in stride to the point that they can make big plays. Like so often in college football, and, and this was the case with Ohio State on Monday night, Justin Fields missed open receivers. He didn't see them, and they didn't get the ball. Or maybe Ohio State hits on some of those big plays as well. So that's the first part. Mac Jones is seeing the guys open, and then he puts the ball where they can make the big plays. So, uh, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit with Kyle Trask going into the OU game with Florida. I, I always kind of felt like Kyle Trask was the recipient of great plays made by his pass catchers, where like Kyle Pitts would just go catch a crazy ball above everybody else, or you know Kadarius Tony would like catch a, a pass and then make a bunch of guys miss and and run for a big gain. The difference with Trask and and uh, Mac Jones, for me at least, is Trask's passes were to those guys, but then it's those guys making great plays to get the ball or like catching something simple and then making a play after the catch. Whereas Mac Jones is throwing his receivers, the ball in stride where like they're running down the field. And I mean, he puts it right in the basket where they don't even have to move and they can just continue running down the field. Like his ball placement, I think is elite. So I, I, I like for as many questions as I have about him, I do want to like give him that sort of credit. Cause I, I, that's the one thing that stood out to me every time I watched him this year. Which is something that you don't see a ton in college quarterbacks. I mean, like the hitting those dudes in stride is a trait that I I would say it's tough. It's tough to learn, and you just you don't see every NFL quarterback doing. I mean, it's obviously more common in the NFL because they're the elite of the elite. But like in college football, you definitely don't see a lot of dudes. I mean, Jalen Hurts. I thought that that was one of the things that he struggled with yeah. at OU was just he never hit guys in stride. It was always, uh, you know kind of just hitting a dude and like writing the numbers and like, he can't really do anything with it. it th this is one area where completion percentage is kind of misleading as far as accuracy, because say you have a guy streaking across the middle of the field on like a, a five yard slant. If you hit him in stride, that becomes like a, you know, a 40 yard pickup. If it's not in stride and he has to stop, then he still catches the football, but he's probably down. And then you're talking about like second and three. And so either way you're getting, you're getting credit for the completed pass but there's just a big difference in the outcome of the play when you're when you put the ball in a place where your receiver can do something with it after the catch. And like, I'm a big Dallas Cowboy fan. This is one area, especially with like the screen passes that I think Dak Prescott struggles with. He's not great at like the short stuff, giving his guys the ball in a position to do something with it. Like so many times, I feel like Dak Prescott on the short stuff is like it. They're completions, and on the stat sheet, it looks really good. But it's like guys having to like make a catch because the ball's not in a great place, and then that's that's all you get is just a catch, and, and then that's the end of the play. So it's it's sometimes something that I think we all overlook, but I do want to give Mac Jones credit for it. So 
yeah, he's uh, he was amazing. Like that was a pretty damn impressive performance Monday. Where sure. Devonte Smith's performance is weird because I think I mean just in the first half, like if that had been the entire game, I think that's considered maybe the best big game receiver performance in college football history. And then he doesn't play the second half. And there was an obvious difference in the explosiveness of the offense in the second half uh, paired with the fact that you have a giant lead. But I, I wish he would have been able to play longer in the second half because if he does, like you just kind of wonder like what the legend of Devontae Smith becomes. Does he go over like 300 yards receiving in that game? Probably. Does he end up with like 20 catches? Probably. Like that, that could have been just like the game that we kind of like idolize as far as national championship performances. I mean, I don't see, I don't see any way he doesn't go over 300. Right. I mean, he 200 easily in the first half. I think the only way that if he's on the field and he doesn't get 300 is if Saban and and Sarkeesian and Mac Jones, like go out of their way to get the other receivers involved despite him being on the field. Yeah. Like, that's the only way. If they stuck with the same game plan they had in the first half where they're just going to feed him, like, there's no way he doesn't get 300. He might get 300 by the end of the third quarter. Yeah. He was on pace for He's it. He's sick, man. If you like that. I yeah, uh, was, uh, It, it kind of makes me laugh that that uh, all of a sudden, I, like, I'm looking at some of these mock drafts now, and I know you're a big mock draft guy. Um, there are now mock drafts that have like teams without quarterbacks taking Devonte Smith, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" Like, I give the guy all the credit in the world; he's a terrific talent, and he's going to be good. But if you don't have a quarterback throwing the ball in the NFL, I don't know. Like, what you you never take the receiver before the quarterback. Like, it's that's the wrong order to do things. I don't even know if you. I don't even know if you take a receiver at three. Yeah, or agreed. Five. Agreed. Regardless of what your quarterback situation agreed. is. Agreed. It's I, I think you and I talked about this actually like a month ago. It the receiver position, I think, in the draft is becoming what the running back position has been yeah. for so long. There's just so many good guys, and the value there is so incredible that it, it just not that there aren't not that Devontae Smith isn't a top five talent or a top ten talent. Like there that's a different conversation. Just the value of the position there are so many guys that you can get in the second and third rounds that are going to be that the step down from like guy one to guy 10 is not nearly as drastic as like guy one to guy 10, as far as like defensive linemen, for example, or maybe corners, for example. I'm looking at a mock draft right now on uh, CBS and they have, they have Houston trading with Miami and taking Zach Wilson. And I got to tell you, it's, it's getting real tough to be a Texans oh. fan right now. Like, if they trade for Tua in that Watson trade, they get Tua and still take a quarterback at three. Oh, that would be so. St- I would be. Would be the worst. I'm going to be living. Yeah, I'm going to be. Uh, I don't, and it, like, whatever. It's ah, man. It's <laughs> the, the house is on fire. T- it's it's burning. <laughs> I can tell. Just the thought of that is frustrating as hell. Like, why? What is the point? I Obviously, I would hope that, that they're smarter than this and they wouldn't trade for Tua and draft a quarterback. Like, at least yeah. give Tua a year to see if he's if he's good or not. Right. And then draft a quarterback next year. If he sucks, then you're going to have a high draft pick anyway and then take a quarterback. Uh, it's stupid. Anyways, yeah, it's, uh, it's on fire. We, uh, Andre Johnson is tweeting just 
absolutely destroying the Houston organization. DeAndre Hopkins is retweeting that. He restamped it, yeah. Yeah, just a disaster. Two Hall of Fame receivers, Andre Johnson and DeAndre Hopkins, that are both like, yeah, the Mount, idiots. They're two. They're half of the Mount Rushmore of the Houston Texans organization. Yeah, football organization. Yeah. Oh, it's so bad. If they don't hire, I'll just give you my opinion from the outside looking in. If they don't hire Eric Bieniemy, I think the best thing for them to do is, I mean, you're just going to waste Deshaun Watson. I, I trade him anyway. Even if you hire Bieniemy, trade him. Yeah. If he doesn't want to be there, trade him. Like yeah. just recoup your assets because your team sucks. He had one of the best seasons in the last ten years yeah. by a quarterback with trash around him. He's going to have trash around him next year. Like you're going to waste his career. You're going. You have all this money committed to him. Just trade him. Let him go to Miami. I prefer. I would be more pleased if he went to the Jets because that would give him the two pick. And I give me Justin Fields, but if it's Miami, then it's Miami. You get the three pick back. You get to a, like, you at least have some hope for yeah. the future. Like, so you'd Tua rather have the is, number two pick than get the number three pick and Tua. Yeah. I'd rather take Justin Fields at two than have Tua in the three pick. Cause I just, I've seen Tua in the NFL and I think he has potential to be a good quarterback. Justin Fields is obviously it's more of a gamble, but I think his ceiling is higher. Ceiling so. is higher for sure. I will, I'll give you that. I, I think that uh, wrong offense for Tua this year. Like, I, Justin, like Justin were, Herbert was in the exact right offense for him to have success in year number one. Tua, completely wrong offense for him to have success in year number one. So, I like, I'm curious to see how different it looks a year from now, regardless of where he is. But, you know, I think, I think people are jumping the gun a little bit on Tua just based on what we saw this year. Because, again, Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert were both in offenses that allowed them to excel in year one. Tua was not in an offense in year one that allowed him to, to have success. So I think, I think we talked about this last week or a couple of weeks ago. And obviously like Miami agrees because Chan Gailey's out as OC yeah. and they, yeah. like they realized that whatever they were doing just wasn't working. But I, yeah. And I kind of just look at Justin Fields and I look at dudes like Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen and, and Deshaun Watson, yeah. and I think that he kind of fits more of the mold of what you want from an NFL quarterback now. Agreed. Like they need to be, they need to have that elite level athleticism, and uh, Tua doesn't have that. Tua, like, and I think, like I said, I think Tua could be good, but I think I would rather take the chance on having Justin Fields be an All Pro quarterback, an elite level quarterback. Yeah. But no, I get that. If they get the three, if they get the three pick, I'm not bitching either, unless they draft a quarterback. So. Yeah, that would be terrible. But yeah, I, like I wouldn't have a problem uh, going with Tua, and then at three you could either go uh, Sewell and just fortify your your tackle position at, on both sides, uh, or I mean, obviously, if you wanted to get that that the problem is like Devonte Smith. Not that he's the same guy, but he's the same type of receiver that they already have. They they basically have three like poor man's versions of Devonte Smith, right? I mean, like I, Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks. Who's their other guy? Um, um, it, I mean, they've got like Kiki QT. They've got uh, they cut. Kenny yeah, Stills. I guess he, he's more of a slot guy. But even their top two guys, Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks, are like they're the, the same guy. The, yeah, they're the same guy, same type of receiver. And obviously, in the NFL, you need like different types of receivers. It's 
Um, if you have, you know, you can't have all these guys running the same route. No, <laughs> I, yeah, it's, and look, I, I honestly, I think that the receiver core was by far outside of Deshaun Watson was by far their best unit. Yeah. This past season, like Will Fuller and Brandon cooks were amazing. Obviously Will Fuller, you know, got suspended for the PEDs, but Brandon cooks played surprisingly played almost, I think he played 16 games. Yeah, if not, he so. played like 15, which is incredible that he played that long because he's a concussion away from never playing football again. So that was good to see him last. But I think if you're Houston at three, if this trade goes, if they do this trade, I think you got to go Sewell. Um, either that or you trade back because there's no elite, there's no elite pass rusher at this, in this draft that's worth taking at three. Uh, I don't think that you take a cornerback in Patrick Sertain this high. I think that you're just, you have so many other holes you need to fill before you start worrying about cornerbacks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that you, you, you need to fill, get the lines better. Sewell's the only option there, I think. Yeah, yeah. there's no pass rusher up to take it three right here. So, yeah, I think Sewell's the option. Either that or trade back potentially and just stockpile draft picks. Uh, you know, maybe if Denver wants to move up to three and take, uh, take Zach Wilson yeah. and then give you a handful of picks. I don't know, maybe Philly wants to, I don't, whoever it is. I think it's, it's Sewell or you trade out. Yeah, I I'm so amused at the the whole like overreaction to Justin Fields in the Big Ten game, Justin Fields in the semifinal game, and then Justin Fields in the national championship game. Like we talked about this after the Big Ten championship, and I think you brought it up. Like the latest mock draft has Justin Fields falling out of the top ten, which was just completely like eleven. Yeah, it was so absurd. And then like they beat Clemson. And then there are mock drafts that have him going number one ahead of Trevor Lawrence, which was also stupid. And then he has, you know, just a subpar game in the national championship. Obviously not not something that, like, I think was super damning, but especially when you consider, you know, him not being 100%. Uh, but all of a sudden we're back to, like, is he even the second best quarterback in this draft? And I, I just, I think it's hilarious. I, I think somebody's going to miss massively if they decide to take Zach Wilson or... Trey Lance before Justin Fields. Look, did look, he, he was admittedly was not good in the Big Ten championship game yeah. or in the game on Monday. But we've watched a full season of him last year being really good. We watched I don't know like five games this year of him being really good. He's if I'm looking at a quarterback and he's had 17 amazing games and two average games, I'm still not I'm not going to be shied away from taking him. Yeah, because outside of like Trevor Lawrence, every quarterback in this draft has had bad games. Right, and that's why Trevor Lawrence is like the unanimous number one and has been for a couple of years. Yeah, and the and the the next two guys, there's a legitimate question about level of competition. I mean, it's, the guys played at North Dakota State. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying that Trey Lance can't be a good quarterback. I'm just I'm simply saying that it's fair to ask the question: Is he does does yeah. that translate against better competition? Same thing with Zach Wilson. Like, does that translate when you're playing better talent across the board? So, I, I think both those guys have good skill sets. I'm I'm not questioning that at all. But when you start breaking it down between if you want to take Zach Wilson or Trey Lance over Justin Fields, I, I to me it's yeah. it's a no brainer. Yeah, you, I mean. And that's exactly why if Houston gets Tua, that I don't I think it's stupid for them to take a quarterback at three. Yeah. Because look, if just if 
for whatever reason, the Jets decide that they're just going to roll with Sam Darnold and they take Sewell at two or someone else at two and Justin Fields is there at three. That changes my whole, my whole opinion on it. Take Justin Fields and, and have two as well. But after Justin Fields, I, like you said, I don't think, think there's not a significant drop off, but like there's, there's a drop off and there's a lot more questions. So yeah, whatever it's the NFL though. Quarter teams are going to reach in quarterbacks. They've done that for as long as I can remember. I, I saw a tweet the other day from a guy that uh, is a big Cowboys fan. And uh, given the fact that the Houston's traded DeAndre Hopkins for a running back a year ago, he said the Cowboys should try and trade Zeke Elliott and a first-round pick for Deshaun Watson. Uh-huh. Let Dak go get his free agency money. And then you've also shed your uh, your big running back contract. And it, it kind of made me laugh. <laughs> I... I think it's funny because I have seen a lot of trades or yeah, like mock trades and all yeah. that stuff that clearly undervalue how good Deshaun Watson oh, yeah. is. And probably because he was on a four and 12 this team this season and he plays in Houston and like, there's just not a lot of people watching the Texans week to week or hell, like really at all. Like I'm sure there's a lot of people that have never seen Deshaun Watson play an NFL game outside of like, you know, one primetime game a year. But I don't know how to evaluate what a good trade I, like I don't it's hard to evaluate what his value is because I cannot think of a single time an elite level quarterback was traded in their prime so there's no reference to what the Texans should ask for what they should get like to me I think he's worth like five first round picks four first round picks like I think that is a reasonable like value evaluation of his talent level. Obviously, they're not going to get that, so I yeah. don't know what I, I don't know what a reasonable like deal is. I don't know is two first round picks and Tua wor- worth the trade. I don't no. know because there's like there's no. just nothing to go off of. I don't think it is. I would want there would have to be. I think that's probably the limit as far as what you're going to get as as far as first round first. picks. But I think you would need to throw a couple seconds in there. And if you want to stack, if you needed to stagger those, like I get that because you you don't want to. Like, obviously, it's such a handcuff if you get rid of, like, your first and second round picks in two consecutive drafts. I mean, that's that's four starters that you're without over a two-year yeah. period. That I mean, that's significant. That's what Bill O'Brien did. Yeah, yeah. So, so. Uh, <laughs> yeah, which is why he's no longer there. Idiot. Right. So, like, if you wanted to stagger the second round picks for a couple years, like, I, you know, I think that would be acceptable on the receiving end. But... Yeah, like two first-round picks and two is not enough. This is a, a guy that could be a... I mean, we're talking about a, a potential Hall of Fame quarterback. Those guys don't just walk through the door. Like, it's... He, he is one of the five best quarterbacks in the league in an era where there are 25 good quarterbacks in the league starting right now. Easy. Easy top five. So, yeah, it's... I think I think they should trade. I do think they should trade him. I think keeping him would be a mistake at this point. I just I'm very anti keeping the disgruntled guy because you're just too stubborn to move him. Yeah. Like it's the same thing with James Harden, and, and you know who cares about the NBA right now? But like same thing with him. Just move him. Like if he doesn't want to be there, he doesn't want to be there. He's going to get on the court and he's just going to pout and buzz and you no, know, it's just not going to be a good environment. Like culture is so important to winning in professional sports yeah. that if you've got your superstar players unhappy, nobody else is going to be happy. And it's just, it's not going to translate to winning. You need to move him and just 
admit that Bill O'Brien just completely screwed everything up, as did Jack Easterby. Probably more on Jack Easterby, honestly, (laughs) because he's the one that put Bill O'Brien in that GM spot. Just admit the L and just restart. Like, you've been around since 2002 and you finally have a Lillian quarterback and you you screwed it up. Yeah. If, um, yeah, if I were the Texans and I got, like, Tua and their number three pick this year and maybe their first next year and then, like, I don't know, a second this year or next year and then a second in, like, 2023. See, I don't want their their first next year. I want the 18th. I want the third and the 18th this year because Miami, if they get Deshaun Watson, they're a playoff team next year. Yeah. They were already almost a playoff team. Yeah. They won 10 games with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua splitting, you know, splitting snaps and switching out game to game. If they get Deshaun Watson, they're potentially an 11 to 12 win team. Yeah, sure. I, I agree with that. I don't want their first. I mean, I'll take their first next year, but I have to get the 18th and the third this year. Fair enough. Yeah. I, I and look, if you're Miami, I think that's worth it. I do too. He's a he is a he's a elite level quarterback. I cannot understate, and we haven't by any means how good he is. He's an incredible quarterback. He is like I watch highlights of him after watching. Brock Osweiler and Sage Rosenfels and Matt oh, Schaub, yeah. and Derek Carr, David Carr. I like I get tears in my eyes watching highlights of Deshaun Watson. Yeah. I mean, if you if you're having a draft today of the the quarterbacks you would want for the next ten years, it's Mahomes one and Watson two. Yeah. I yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's it's not even like I I don't even think. Like, I, I'm a big Kyler Murray fan. I, I, he's so entertaining to watch, but Kyler Murray's not there yet. Um, I, Josh Allen is another guy I really like. Josh Allen's nowhere close to being as polished as Deshaun Watson is. Yeah. I mean, he is... And that's saying something, because Josh Allen was an MVP candidate this year. Yeah. Uh, and Deshaun Watson's never had a good offensive line in Houston. He's had so he's had good weapons, like good receivers, but this year, like he didn't have a great, like he didn't have DeAndre Hopkins this year. He still yeah. put up amazing numbers. So yeah, the only flaw in his game that I've ever seen once he got to the NFL was he just sometimes he holds onto the ball too long, but that's a double edged sword because he does that sometimes. It makes unbelievable plays that only like maybe right. him and three other quarterbacks can make. Well, he, and he also does that because he has the ability to extend and escape if right. if yeah. you know he needs to now that doesn't always happen but right uh, like i said yeah. double-edged sword yeah with that but. so yeah it's uh man it's a tough one the texans god bless it's like like i feel for you i feel for you because they were I, I felt like on the doorstep of being a super bowl contender for a decade two years ago and all they all they needed was a quarterback their defense was amazing the almost the entire decade yeah and they finally get their quarterback, and Bill O'Brien trades all of his defensive players and, and doesn't like, put any emphasis. the rest of it down. Ugh. Yeah. Brutal. Brutal. Um, all right. Before we, uh, before we hit the, the Browns and, and the rest of the NFL, I do want to jump back to college for a second. 2021. Um, obviously, Alabama is going to reload. You know, they're not going anywhere. But, you know, they're, they're having to replace a bunch of really good players with other really good players. That said, it's you know there there is an element of of unknown uh, with you know the next guy is he going to be as good as Mac Jones probably, uh, but you know it's it's like that age old question, the known versus the unknown. 
Um, Clemson loses Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, their top pass catchers, their best offensive linemen. Should be the best defense in college football probably next year. Um, who else was in the... Ohio State is going to be wiped out. Uh, again, not that they don't have other dudes that they're just going to reload with, but Justin Fields is gone. Trey Sermon's gone. Chris Olave's gone. Wyatt Davis, their best offensive lineman, is gone. Bunch of key defensive players. Um, I think if you wanted to tell me based on the known versus the unknown that Oklahoma should be number one on a 2021 preseason poll, I wouldn't have any issue with it. Yeah, yeah. Uh... My my only concern with the OU next year is that they're replacing three offensive linemen at minimum, so that might be an issue. Ronnie Perkins leaving obviously is a huge loss for them because we saw this year for sure. how much of an impact he had, you know, when he was out early in the year to coming back and just the difference that it made. But yeah, I mean they've got the quarterback coming back, which is the most important position, obviously, to have come back. Um, all their receivers are coming back. Uh, Charleston Rambo did transfer. Yeah, I think no, he ended up in Miami. Miami, yeah. But I mean, their weapons are back. Uh, Kennedy Brooks is coming back. Like they're they're pretty set at the skill positions as they normally are. And like you said, the defense was amazing this year. And they're losing a couple of dudes. They're losing the Trays and Perkins as of right now. But they should still be really good next year. Yeah, I think. I think there's a legitimate I, – I think that Georgia's probably in that conversation for a preseason number one, uh, you know, one or two. I think they're going to be up there. But I, there's no – OU has a just as good of an argument as Georgia does to be number one. Yeah. I think you could definitely pencil in Oklahoma being a top three team preseason next year. The, the, my, my issue with Georgia, and, and not that they don't deserve to be in that conversation, I think they, will, they should be a preseason top four, but – in comparison to, again, talking about the known versus the unknown, Georgia loses every starter in the secondary. And I think they lose their top two secondary backups. They lose uh, their their best linebacker and their best two edge rushers. So, like, th- yeah. that's not a small thing. Like, those are, those are all NFL dudes. And, and again, they recruit at a high level, so there are other talented guys, but... You know, it, I, I, I'm never one of those guys that just thinks, like, the next guy is going to step in and immediately be as good as the guy before him. Is the talent level the same? Probably. But there's always, you know, I think it's it's more of a question of progression. Like, how long will it take for that guy to, to become as good as the guy before him? For some guys, it's a couple games. For some guys, it's a season. That's kind of the element of unknown that we don't know. But, like, they're losing a lot defensively. Now, they'll probably have in my opinion, the best defensive lineman in college football next year with Jordan Davis. I, I was like hoping that he would come out because for my Dallas Cowboys, I thought that's the perfect guy in the middle of your defense. Uh, but he's coming back. So, I mean, him alone, he's just a problem on the interior of the defensive line and that makes everybody's job easier. But yeah, they, they are getting wiped out defensively. Um, offensively, though, I mean, if, you know, JT Daniels is is back, um, you know, the guy that Oklahoma had committed, Brock Vandegrift, comes in and will probably compete for that job. Uh, and, and they always have playmakers. It's just a matter of can the quarterback take advantage of their playmakers. Uh, but, yeah, Georgia should be in the conversation. I just don't think they have as much coming into the year as Oklahoma does as far as knowns. The quarterback isn't as good. The offensive playmakers, I mean, Pickens, I think, is a potential future first-round pick. 
but after him, I, I, I don't, I, I don't think that there's another guy that I think is solidified right now as a college football star. And then defensively, they've got a, a lot of holes to fill. Whereas I think with Oklahoma, I thought they were one of the easily two or three best defensive lines in the country. And while losing Ronnie Perkins is significant, Perrion Winfrey, Nick Benito, Isaiah Thomas all come back. Jalen Redman will be back in the mix next year. And there are a couple other guys that will be a year older and, and will figure into the mix. But again, I'm not counting those guys in this conversation because we're talking about the known quantities within this team. I just think Oklahoma has more going into the year that we know or have a reasonable expectation as to what they're going to do than, you know, like Alabama's quarterback. I, he's probably going to be good, but we don't know that for a fact. You know what I mean? Let me, uh, yeah, I agree. I, I absolutely agree. I, like I said, I think that OU is penciled into the top three and there's definitely an argument to be number one. Let me, uh, let me, let me throw this at you. I think that there's a team that probably is not going to be ranked in the top five. I don't know if they've ever been ranked in the top five, but I think they should be preseason. They're returning 10 offensive starters, including their quarterback and the best running back in the country. I think I know who you're about to say. Eight defensive starters. They won nine games this past year. They have a coach who has, every year, the team has gotten better under him. Yep. Iowa State should yes. be a preseason top five team. Absolutely. Year. Yeah, they're going to be good. They're going to be really good. ESPN right now has North Carolina, Texas A&M, and Ohio State above Iowa State. I, can, I don't believe that Texas A&M nor North Carolina should be ranked above Iowa State preseason. Ohio State maybe, but like you said, they're losing so many starters that yeah. I think Iowa State preseason – on paper, should have a better team. Yeah. They should be more prepared to win games next year than Ohio State is. They just, to me, you know, again, when we talk about preseason polls, the my first criteria is, like, I, I group the teams together as far as who I think is in the same, like, tier, and then I start looking at what you have from a known standpoint versus what the question marks are. And you're absolutely right. Iowa State, I mean, has very few question marks about who they're going to be next year. And I, they were a top 10 team this year. Brock Purdy comes if back. Brees Hall comes back. Those Charlie Kolar and those pass catchers come back. Defensively, they're going to be really tough again. Yeah, they're they're going to be a problem. If, if Iowa State doesn't lose that opening game last year to whatever scrub school they played. Louisiana. Yeah. I mean, this, I mean, we're... They already had a really good season, but we're looking at them completely different. Like, they're before the conference championship games, they're in the top four, probably. Definitely the top. Would have been in, what, eight and one or nine and one at that point? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, to bring back Brock Purdy and Brees Hall, that's huge. And, you know, I, I think that they're significantly. ESPN has them at eight in their preseason projected poll. And I think that's too low. Yeah. I think it is insulting to. This, I, which I never thought I'd say in my life, that it was insulting to have Iowa State 8 preseason. Yeah, that's a name thing. They just, you know. For sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Louisiana, by the way, went 10-1. and one. Uh, not, that, not that you shouldn't lose to, uh, you know, I, they shouldn't like have said, lost that game. They, they went 10-1. and one. Their only loss was to Coastal Carolina. Now, again, I think it's fair to say, we talked about this with the Coastal Carolina-BYU-Cincinnati conversations in the playoff thing. Um there is a level of difference where I, I still think it's a bad loss, but it's, I mean, it's not so egregious that it was, you know, some just 
you know, five and five group right. of five team. So it's also, it's also, like you said, it's a name thing. Iowa State yeah. losing to Louisiana is not as egregious as Oklahoma losing to Louisiana. Right, right. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I th- Iowa State, I think, is in that conversation, without a doubt. The, I, the Big 12, I think, is going to be pretty good next year, especially because your top two teams, I think, are... I mean, the, I, the Big 12 winner, as long as you're not losing two or three games, the Big 12 winner between one of those two teams should be in the playoff. Yeah. I mean, the Pac-12 is not getting anybody in. No. So you're basically like, you're I mean, competing it, against two SEC teams. USC probably gained a little momentum this year. Um, and anytime you have a quarterback, like, you know, they're going to have Keaton Slovis coming back, who's projected to be a first-round pick probably next year. Um, that will give them a little bit of, of run. So the door's open for them, I think, but they don't have a lot of wiggle room playing in that conference. Yeah, it's – I think the Big 12, though, I think it – I think it's probably going to be a two-horse race. Like, I, 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 I try – like, I don't think Texas is ready to compete. I mean, they obviously – they showed nothing over the past few couple of years to show that they're ready to compete for the Big 12 championship. Right. Uh, and then to lose Ellinger, like, the quarterback position is a big question. New coach coming in. I'm putting no stock in Oklahoma State. Like, I, it, I, I've – you moved way past putting any stock into Oklahoma State doing anything up to their standards or what expectations are. Yeah, I mean they're not even they're not even in the preseason top twenty five that ESPN has right now for next season. It's probably so, good for them. They're they're always better when they don't have any expectations. No expectations. Yeah, well, I mean yeah. everybody is for that matter, but yeah. Well, except Alabama. <laughs> yeah. Um, Every Alabama, everybody says Alabama's going to win the national championship, and then they go thirteen and zero and win the right. national championships. Yeah, yeah. Look, the, the teams that were in the playoff all lose their quarterbacks. Alabama loses Mac Jones. Clemson loses Trevor Lawrence. Ohio State loses Justin Fields. Notre Dame loses Ian Book. Um, who's the next team? Oh, Texas A and M loses Kellen Mond, which actually which might be a might be an upgrade. Might be an upgrade. Um, but yeah, it's, I I think just having your quarterback back is the first piece you kind of look at when you start evaluating next season. And then you start looking at the other key players. And Oklahoma just has so many more key players on both sides of the football coming back than the teams that were in the playoff. I think it's I also think it's a little crazy to have North Carolina at seven where ESPN has them. Well, quarterback I, I again. Know, I know. Well, Hal's coming back. Yeah. But so much of that offense, and Hal was good, and he might be a Heis- preseason Heisman favorite next year, but so much of that offense was built around the two running backs, and they're both gone. Yeah. So, like, I mean, it, it would be like, I can't even make an example because there's no, like, good teams that, like, rely so heavily on the running back. Well, they just anyways. got Ty Chandler from Tennessee as a, as a, I think he's a transfer. grad transfer. So, he'll, I mean, he'll come in and probably be as good as either one of those guys. I mean, from a statistical standpoint. Uh, so uh, those guys were both amazing, but I don't think that's really the area of concern for me with them. Um, you lose Deami Brown and Daz Newsom, your top two pass catchers. Yeah. Uh, which is, I think significant, but again, Sam Howell's so good. Uh, yeah, they're losing, they're losing their top two receivers and obviously they're two, like they're losing their four best skill position players, yes. which yeah. If Sam, they have all their offensive linemen coming back. If Sam Howell is as good as Sam Howell has played this year with those running backs and receivers around him, yeah. if he can translate that next year without those dudes, then, I mean, they're going to be a good team. But above Iowa State, I don't know. 
I don't know about that. Yeah, I wouldn't put them above Iowa State. I'm with you there. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like if you want to just tell me that you're giving Alabama respect because they just they reload every year and there's rarely a drop off anywhere, uh, I totally get that. Like I'm not disputing that. We all understand that's why Nick Saban's won six titles there because the the next guy up is always ready to just step in and play at a level where there's either no or very little drop off. It- and it feels like the separation between Alabama and the rest of the country just gets even greater with each class that he brings in. Yeah. Like, I mean, think about the dudes that they had on offense 10 years ago compared to the guys that they have now. Yeah. And they're still having the defensive guys that come in that are, you know, first and second round NFL picks. Did you see the draft class or the the recruiting class that had Devontae Smith in it? No. So they, they, they did the, I saw this graphic uh, last night. They they showed the like top ten players from that recruiting class. So Tua and Mac Jones were both in that same recruiting class. They got two quarterbacks. Uh, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, obviously, all going to be first round receivers. Najee Harris was in that recruiting class. Uh, who was the uh, Xavier McKinney, who was a second round pick last year, starting safety for the Giants, was in that group. Uh, Jedrick Wills who's the starting left tackle for the Cleveland Browns, was in that recruiting class. Uh, Alex Leatherwood, who just won the Outland, was in that recruiting class. And there was one other one. I, I can't remember who the 10th guy was. But, like, I was I was seriously thinking, is, is there a recruiting class in the history of, of college football that, that your top 10 guys from a single recruiting class are that quality? I'd, it's got to be up there. I mean, the worst player in that group is probably going to end up being, from a draft standpoint, is probably going to end up being like Xavier McKinney, who's a second-round pick, or maybe Alex Leatherwood, who is probably going to be a late first, early second-round pick this year. Maybe That's like the worst. early 2000s. Maybe like early 2000s Miami had something similar. Maybe. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, and I could easily do the research on this, but I'm too lazy. I, has every recruiting class that Nick Saban brought, has brought in won a national championship? Yeah, I saw what former one of the former Alabama players, maybe it was Derrick Henry. Um, one of the former Alabama players tweeted the other night that every every recruiting class that Nick Saban's had at Alabama has has uh, won a national title. You're guaranteed to win a national title. That's absurd. Yeah, it's God. It's it's amazing to watch, but at the same time, it's it makes college football a little harder to watch. Yeah. Um, I had this conversation yesterday just to kind of put into perspective because I, I think it's very easy to take for granted how great Alabama has been in this stretch and how great Nick Saban has been in this stretch. So just to put it in perspective, who, as far as the, the top programs in college football history, do you put anybody on the same tier as Alabama or are they by themselves? All time? Yeah, all time. Well, no, I mean, I, maybe maybe five years ago, I would have had a conversation where maybe I put, um, like, maybe an Oklahoma up there, maybe a, uh, I don't know, yeah, I'd like, no, because I'm, like, trying to think of other programs yeah. I would put close to that, on that same tier, and, like, obviously, like, Ohio State, Michigan, Oklahoma are in that tier, that next tier, but... Notre Dame maybe, but Notre Dame's won what one national championship in the last like fifty years. Yeah. So this was my point yesterday. I, I would say that like my tier one 
college football blue bloods are Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma. And if you want to put Notre Dame in that category, like, I get it. They've obviously been to two college football playoffs. They were in a BCS title game, you know, within the last decade. So there's at least some recent success, not at the highest level, but, uh, you know, the same thing as Oklahoma's accomplished, basically. I mean, Oklahoma's been in BCS title games that they didn't win and been to the college football playoff unsuccessfully. So uh, if you want to put Notre Dame in that tier, like, I, you know, I'm not going to argue against it. But, like, to, to just put it into perspective, ju- and Alabama obviously won a title under uh, Gene Stallings in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. But, and they were just terrible. Like, just yeah, and then, they, yeah then they had a rough stretch. But Justin, Mike Shula, uh, just in the last 11 years under Nick Saban, they've won six titles. In my entire lifetime, Oklahoma's won two. In my entire lifetime, Ohio State's won two. And in my entire lifetime, Notre Dame's won one. So the next three best college football programs, I think in the history of of college football next to Alabama, have collectively won five national titles in my life, in my entire life. And Alabama's won six in the last 11 years. That just shows you, like that, that to put it into perspective, what they've done, it's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean... I think it depends who you talk to as well. Uh, some people might argue that Texas A&M belongs to that top tier with <laughs> Alabama. Um, coincidentally, most of them live in the College Station area, but uh, they'll they'll make that argument. Yeah, yeah. Uh, here's a real a real question for you though. At at what point, like, how long do you have to sustain success before we start considering Clemson a blue blood? I think they're there. I think when you when you get a couple of national championships, you're already in the conversation. Again, Clemson's won as many national championships in my lifetime as both Ohio State and Oklahoma. Right? Yeah. And they're there every year. I, like again, I'm I, I'm I'm not disputing that Oklahoma and Ohio State don't have much better tradition and history than Clemson. Like that's not even debatable. I'm just saying in my lifetime. Uh, they've they've won the same amount of national championships, and and the bottom line is, I, I don't know how many eighteen year olds are like super excited about like championships won in the fifties. Like I maybe they are, well, maybe I don't know. I'm just that we got into an argument about this on the radio show because I I made I made I took a stance that I don't think blue bloods matter anymore because the kids are just concerned about who's good now, which is why Clemson has become so elite because they were good for a couple years and it just snowballed into them becoming an elite program where like as Michigan is not going to like, is a kid going to pick Michigan over Clemson because Michigan is a a quote unquote blue blood? No. Right. And I just don't think that, and it was just, it it was, I guess it was more of just like a, an argument on like semantics and kind of just like, Whatever, well, but like, like, I, I, like, if we're having the conversation, does Clemson deserve to be on the same tier as like Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma? My answer is no. All time, yeah, all time, yeah. And I agree. I agree to that because yeah. they were they were like a, a decent to average program up until Dabo. Yeah, got I think there. they won like, like they a, I think they won a title in like 1980. Yeah, but 81. Yeah, yeah, something like yeah. But that that's like, I mean, you know, then they were average for a long time. Uh, I mean, same thing with Nebraska right now. Like, I think Nebraska, there was a point where I would ha- I would have had them on that top tier. But I think what you're doing, like what you've done in the last ten to fifteen years, has to be a factor 
in where they currently are. And, and I think be- that's the only thing that matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, to, to recruits, I'm yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, I, I, like I wouldn't put Nebraska on the same tier as those schools. They're, they're a tier down. Like nobody gives a damn that like Army and Navy and Minnesota and teams like that won all those championships like way back in the day, right? Like none of those schools are recruiting at the same level as, as Clemson. So yeah, I think th- I think sometimes there are maybe two different conversations that are being had when you bring up Blue Bloods. There's the yeah. all, there's the all-time conversation about how we rank these programs based on everything they've accomplished and then there's the conversation about who recruits maybe uh would lean toward based on on what's happened, you know, over the last like 10 10 to 15 years in their lifetime. So It's a it, I think it's yeah. a moving window, right? Like I think the top tier of blue bloods is a moving thing. Like I think there's kind of like a window of of maybe a couple decades where that kind of like follows what you've done. And when you kind of fall, when your success falls out of that window, then you probably drop down in my mind. At least that's the way I would explain it. And who knows? Maybe, maybe Clemson is just, you know, another version of Miami where they're really good for like a a burst of time. Right. They could fall back to where they were. Yeah. Uh, and they just can't sustain the success like Alabama and Oklahoma and Notre Dame and Ohio State can. So yeah. we'll find out. Miami and Florida State, I think, are both kind of examples of like Clemson, where Clemson is. Like, I don't think we put Miami and Florida State in the same category as Alabama, Ohio State, Oklahoma. I think you probably put Florida in that conversation. Florida, too. Pro- yeah, yeah. But they're they're in that next group because they've experienced success at the highest level. They've had stretches where they were they were in that group of the best programs in the country for a number of years, but they've, they've not sustained it for just a long period of time. There's been a lot of ups and downs. So, um, yeah, that's, I think Clemson's in that next group with, uh, you know, like I, kind of wonder how close Texas and Michigan are to maybe taking another step down like the, you know, and, and Nebraska as well. Like all three of those schools have rich football tradition, but at some point, like they are, maybe maybe it's currently happened, uh, but at some point I, I you start Nebraska, falling behind yeah. a bunch of other teams. I think, think Nebraska is way behind the race. I think they're way back in the in the in the race yeah. right now. And then Michigan step Michigan just took it de- definitely took a step back, extending Harbaugh. Like they've yeah, yeah. Texas is. I agree. Like those are three teams that should be in that second tier, or you know close. You know maybe not Nebraska, but. You know, Texas and Michigan should absolutely be in that second tier with those teams like Florida State and you know Miami and all the and all those programs, Clemson. So, it is what it is, though. Yeah. Uh, thoughts Texas on uh, changing the subject? Thoughts on uh, Super Wild Card Weekend? What What was your biggest takeaway? Uh, it was kind of disappointing. Uh, I I get why the NFL added the extra team, but I just didn't feel especially in the NFC like the the Bears had no reason to be in the playoffs like they were they're not good yeah uh, and the fact that they snuck in was more of a testament to how bad the rest of the NFC was this year outside of the top six now the Colts getting in it helped in the AFC because the Colts won what 11 games yeah and they played the Bills really well in that game so there's an argument for both sides I kind of just lean to the side of I don't think that we need the seven team, seventh team in the in the playoffs on each conference, but kind of disappointing too. Uh, there was I, I thought there were two like legitimately entertaining games. The rest of the games were just they didn't live up to what I was hoping for. 
I was excited about Brown Steelers, and obviously that didn't become a good, that wasn't a good game, uh, competitive game at least. Uh, I, I know a lot of people here thought it was a good game because it was Brown's dominance, but yeah, it wasn't competitive. Uh, I'm with you. The, the one game that I wasn't excited about at all, even though you know it's a playoff game and, and I was still going to watch it because it's a playoff game, but Saints-Bears just did absolutely nothing for me. Uh, my favorite game of the weekend going into the weekend was Ravens-Titans. Same. And then my second favorite game, I, I think I even said uh, on the podcast that I thought it was a sneaky good game, was, uh, was Bills-Colts, and that ended up being a great game. Um, and then after that, like the NFC games, the best one that I thought was going to be Seahawks, uh, Rams and terrible. Oh, like I, uh, I, I'm not great at picking winners necessarily. So like the fact that I went five and one this weekend just kind of shows you that there wasn't a lot of surprise. Uh, the only game I got wrong was the Seahawks Rams. And that was, uh, you know, mostly because I just felt like I, I would trust Russell Wilson over, not having any idea what the Rams were going to do at quarterback. Um, and Aaron Donald got hurt. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, they, Aaron Donald gets hurt. The quarter, like Jared Goff comes in with his like thumb, hang, his finger hanging off his yeah. hand, and Russell Wilson can't beat them. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. There was no way I would have anticipated Russell Wilson losing that game. Yeah, but other than that, yeah, I mean, I I thought Bills Colts would be good, but I thought you know Bills would just be a little bit too much. Um, thought Ravens Titans would be really good. Uh, and I, I just, I think the Ravens were just a little bit better uh, in in most places. But other than that, I, it kind of went as expected. And I, well, I, I didn't think the Browns were going to win that way. I thought they like would that, win. Yeah. But uh, wow, I, I, I said this on Monday. I want to get your take. I don't know that anybody else could have taken on what Baker took on and gotten Cleveland to this point like if they had drafted Josh Allen or somebody else in that draft I'm not saying Josh Allen doesn't become a good player but I don't know that mentally Josh Allen would have been able to overcome as many pitfalls as Baker and the Browns have had to overcome to get to this point like I think Baker's just so unique in terms of his mentality and being able to use every failure as motivation to come back and keep trying that I, I don't, it's, it's just, I think it's just that it was the perfect situation for them to take him, not just from the football standpoint, which I thought he was deserving of the number one pick from a football standpoint, but the mentality standpoint to go into a perennial loser and three years later, get to this point. I'm just, I'm not sure that uh, anybody else in that draft could have brought them to this point. So I'm obviously a huge Baker Mayfield fan. Been following <laughs> since he was in middle school. Uh, lifelong Baker fan. I think that I I think that the NFL has been tough on Baker though because I I really do feel yeah. like last year his second year like it started to break him a little bit, and it's a testament like you said to to his football life because he I don't know about his personal life but in his football life he has faced a ton of adversity. Uh, starting, you know, with his size, not getting recruited, walking on at Tech, playing well at Tech, getting hurt, losing his job. We know his story. So that adversity definitely helped him go into Cleveland and deal with the pressure because as much, as bad as they've been, I think that being the quarterback in Cleveland or the head coach in Cleveland is one of the highest pressure jobs because they have been so bad for so long. And that's, I mean, that's an NFL staple. Like they've been around forever. And they have diehard fans that want to be good. 
and they don't have any – the ownership has proven that they don't have patience. Yeah. I mean, how many coaches have we seen get fired oh, after one season in the past 10 years in Cleveland? How many quarterbacks yeah, have somehow. we seen in the last yeah. 20 years in Cleveland? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, somehow Hugh Jackson keeps his job after he goes 0-16, but that's beside the point. But I – I do. I think that uh, if you look at the rest of the class, so Josh Allen, Josh Allen's interesting because I I do think Josh Allen is unbelievably mentally strong, and the fact that he has gotten better each year shows me that he's aware of what he needs to work on and he works hard. But outside of Josh Allen and Baker, I think you're right. I don't think any other quarterback could have gone in there and you know went through what they went through with the highs of the rookie year. And then the absolute pitfall the second year with the expectations and then taking that second year as a learning experience and getting better. Like Josh Rosen definitely wasn't doing that. No. Uh, Lamar was in that draft class too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Lamar, Lamar is interesting because I don't, I don't know that he could have done it because he would have had to play his first year immediately. And I don't think he was ready coming out of the game. He would have gotten killed. To be a starter. Yeah. Like, he wasn't like he if he thank God for his ability to run because his rookie year throwing the ball, he was terrible. Yeah. And he made that leap, you know, going into a second year throwing the ball. But if he would have been throwing it thrown in there week one, I think that might have broken him. Um, Just from a confidence standpoint. But yeah, I, I think out, it's interesting because outside of Josh Rosen, all those quarterbacks in the first round went to like the perfect situations. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, it's I, I just. Again, I'm not saying that Josh Allen wouldn't have become a good player because obviously he's he's a terrific player. Same thing for Lamar Jackson. I just the, the the guy that they took was a guy that, from a mentality standpoint, was going to be able to survive being in Cleveland and being counted out and having so much adversity and every single time being able to come out on the other side of it, feeling like they were still going to become the best team in in their conference or whatever. So, um, you know, I give I gave Josh Allen a lot of credit. Earlier this week, I was talking about this being at that draft. I remember uh, being upstairs in that like green room area where the, the you know the players kind of like wait for their media opportunities, and then they go through Radio Row and and their press conference and all that. And I just remember like if I don't know if you remember this, but the week of the draft, there were some like I guess racially insensitive texts or, or tweets from Josh Allen on top of like, you know, there was a lot of question marks about just his leadership and accuracy at Wyoming and level of competition. So there were on-field questions, but then the the tweets became public and there were off-field questions as well. And I just remember being pretty impressed with just the way he handled all of it on draft night. And even in that press conference, I think most of the questions were about his tweets and, you know, what kind of guy he was. And I just thought he handled it so well. Um, again, it didn't really change my opinion of who he was as a quarterback, um, but I, it was just one of those things that I think in retrospect, I was like, he he really handled that well, and maybe that gave a, should have given us some idea as to how he would handle adversity in the NFL, but um, you know, on the other side of it, Josh Rosen didn't handle any of that stuff well, um, just evaluating that, that draft night and the way everything happened, but anyway, I, thought, I, don't, I don't know I that thought, Josh Allen, again, would have been able to do the same thing Baker did, just because I think Baker no matter what happened, like Baker can throw six interceptions in the first quarter and literally look his team in the eyes at halftime and like believe that they're going to come back, right? Like that's just the kind of guy he is. And I think it's extremely unique that 
as far as that level of just self-belief and, uh, you know, using everything as motivation. I, I do think it's interesting because Baker, I think people from the outside view Baker as like uh, kind of a, kind of like an, a giant ego guy. He definitely has an ego. No, th- that's fair, I think, to a degree, right. sure. But on this, at the same point, I mean, he is has no problem handing the ball off forty times a game yeah. and throwing it 15, 15 to twenty times and not complaining as long as they win. So yeah, it kind of you know he's like you said it's interesting because he is all the confidence and he he has that ego, but he's perfectly fine putting that ego in check as long as they win. Yeah, well, that's where I think he grew a lot this year because I think in the past when they would run the football, you know, I think like when he got his opportunities to throw, he would try to do too much because, again, like I think there was just like he wanted to be the reason why they were having success. And I think that's where a lot of the mistakes were coming from. And, you know, I think he was able to, like you said, swallow that to a degree where, you know, he was still handing the ball off a lot, but not feeling like when he did have his number called in the passing game, like he had to make something big happen in those opportunities. So, uh, yeah, I'd, I, dude, it's, it's a great story. Like, your point about uh, him having an ego, I know a lot of people view him that way and don't like him for that, but that's also, you don't have that sort of self-belief and that ability to overcome adversity if you don't have that kind of ego. So it's, it's yeah. kind of a double-edged sword. I've never and look. We we both covered him his entire time at Oklahoma. I never once was around him and thought this guy's unlikable. Yeah, I mean, the, like it's just people that have never been around him that just see him on the progressive commercials every right. forty five seconds, and, and you know, kind of, he's fr- from Austin. We grew up, you know, kind of in a nice area, but yeah, yeah, he's a uh, like I, I get the people that don't like him though. I think it's if if he's not the quarterback of your team. The way that he, you know, I think it's it. If you are a fan of another team, I think it's really easy to view him as arrogant and unlikable. Like I, I don't, I, I see why people think that. Yeah, I disagree with it. It's not arrogant. Yeah, I disagree with it, but I, I think that uh, it's like, you know, you see the tweets to Jay Bulware, you know, like uh, a week ago. Like it's, it's, it's that sort of stuff that separates Baker from the rest of the arrogant quarterbacks, right? Like you, you don't see other guys doing that, but at the same time, like, I think that what sports fans want. Yes. He's like unbelievably loyal to his teams. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying. Like if he's not your guy, then I think you're like, Oh, I hate that. But if he's your guy, you absolutely love it. So he's just one of those guys that I think is polarizing in that way, where if he's your guy, you're going to, you're going to fall on the sword for him every time. But I think he's, he's easy to dislike if he's on the other team. Uh, and you know, again, because he just, he look, he's going to, he's going to laugh in your face when he beats you sort of thing. I mean, he's going to, yeah, he's yeah. going to dance on, he's going to yeah. plant the flag. Yeah. The he's going to, yeah. He's going to dance thoughts. on your grave after, after yeah. he beats you. So yeah, I think for opposing teams, it's easy to not like him, but, um, you know, if he, if he's your guy, you, you love him to the end of the earth. Well, he's everybody's guy in Oklahoma. We know that for sure. Yeah. Maybe not some, yeah. you know, uh, Cowboys fans, but yeah. Brown's country. I, thought, I, thought, I think it is here. I saw a conversation on Twitter the other day, and uh, as as good as Baker is, and I think he's a good quarterback. Where the conversation was, Baker is better than Dak. Ooh, and I immediately was like, "Come on, guy!" No, not yet. Like Baker's good, but if Dak, when Dak's healthy, 
Like he's he's a top five six quarterback in the league. Yeah, yeah, I think he's pro. Yeah, I mean, I six seven eight range for me probably. Yeah, Baker's not a top ten quarterback in the league right now. No, I think he's in that next group. Like, I think once you get to like ten, I think he's in the next few yeah. guys that like somewhere he's, between ten and fifteen. Yeah, for sure, for yeah. sure. And again, he's that's not to say he can't get there. Uh, I just don't think he's there yet. Right. And the conversation was right now, Baker's better than Dak. No. Well, I guess right now. Well, today, Baker for is sure. Yeah. Dak's in a know, cast. Dak, so. Yeah, he's in a wheelchair. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you gave me the option today of Baker Mayfield or Dak Prescott to win a game, I'm, I'm taking Dak. So. Yeah. Well, luckily for Baker, uh, you know, he's got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and a good yeah. offensive line. Can't wait for yeah. the uh, Odell, the Browns to trade Odell talks to pop up here in about a month. It'll happen before the draft, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're better without him. Wow. They're better without a top 15 receiver. Yeah. I don't know. It would have been interesting to see how good this offense would have been this year if he didn't get hurt. I think it would have been the same. Yeah? No different? No, I mean, I think that do they try they to throw clearly, the ball a lot more? Like, does Stefanski and, and Baker feel like there's, like, because that's the thing. It's not, I don't think anybody doubts Odell's talent level. I think people just question the overall mentality of the team, like trying to force the ball to Odell in situations where, you know, you just need to let, like, let the game flow. Like, he so demands I the think, ball so much that you're, that I think people feel like you get out of, of the flow of what you're trying to accomplish. I don't think so because it's not like when Odell played this season. I know he only played a few games, but it's not like their offense was bad. It's not like they weren't able to run the ball. Like even when Odell was in the game, they still had a, a huge emphasis on running the ball. Uh, I mean, remember that Thursday night game against Cincinnati in like week two? I think Nick Chubb had like 200 yards in that game, and Kareem Hunt had a good game. Like they were still putting a huge emphasis on running the ball. Yeah. Uh, when Cleveland played Dallas. Dallas, yeah. Uh, Odell had a huge game, but they still had a big emphasis on running the ball. Like I think that Sarkeesian went in there, and you know they hit on a, on a couple of draft picks with the offensive line. What's the, is it? Miles Teller. What's the kid? The offensive lineman's name? Not Miles Teller, the rookie that's really good. Jedrick Wills. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't know where I got Miles Teller from, but isn't that uh, the actor? He is an actor. He, doesn't he play the drummer? Uh, in in uh, what is that movie? It's a good movie. Yeah, I can't think of it. Anyways, yes, yes, Miles Teller is an actor. Um, but you're thinking of, uh, are you thinking of Wyatt Teller? Wyatt Teller, yes. Is he a rookie? Again, completely wrong. Maybe a second year. Okay, I don't, I, yeah, I'm not sure what he is. I don't know. Anyways, either way, I was completely off. But, I mean, they just, they, I think Sarkeesian went in there and realized that, like, I've got arguably the second best running back in the NFL right now, paired with Kareem Hunt, who is really good. And a guy quarterback that probably is best used not throwing the ball 40 times. So I, I don't think it would have changed anything. I still I think that they clearly had a plan going to this year, what type, type of team they wanted to be. And yeah. they've stuck to it throughout the year. Um, they've just taken a little bit. It probably would have helped, honestly, because then you would have had somebody other than Jarvis Landry to throw the ball to. Yeah. All right, rank uh, rank the games for me this weekend. We have in the NFC, Rams, Packers, and then we have uh, the battle of the 40-year-old quarterbacks, Brady, Breeze, Bucks, Saints, AFC, Cleveland, Kansas City, and Baltimore, Buffalo. Okay, am I ranking them on 
how good I think they're going to be are the ones I want that I'm most excited for. Uh, however you want to do it. Which one do you want to go okay, with? I'll, I'll go, I'll go games that I'm most excited okay. for because I, 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 I think that Kansas City's probably going to beat Cleveland pretty easily, but I like Kansas City, Cleveland one. Yeah. Uh, Baltimore, Buffalo two, New Orleans, Tampa three, and then Green Bay, LA four. But I don't think on paper, like I don't think there's gonna. Be, I, I like all these matchups. Like every one of them has something interesting. Like that Rams defense against Aaron Rodgers, who's probably gonna win the MVP. Buffalo and Baltimore, you have, we just talked about that draft class. We have Lamar and Allen going up head to head. Yeah. And then, you know, the geezers in, you know, the NFC South going up against each other. And then obviously Mahomes and Baker and, you know, Cleveland trying to make a run and beat, you know, win another playoff game. Like there's a lot of great storylines this weekend in these games. We don't, thank God, we, thank God Washington and Chicago didn't win. Um, I like how in the NFC we have so Breeze is forty one, uh, Rogers is thirty seven, Tom Brady is forty three, and then in the AFC I think Baker's the oldest quarterback at what twenty six, twenty five or twenty six. And there's probably a reason the NFC was so bad this year. Yeah. Although the old quarterbacks all won like a lot of games. Baker's twenty five. So. Let's see, Mahomes is twenty five, but I think Baker's older. Um, Josh Allen is, uh, 24 and I think Lamar's also 24 and yeah, Lamar's 24. So you have 25, 25, 24 and 24 in the AFC. And I'm, I mean, the Rams were throwing them out. Uh, And then you have 37, 41 and 43 in the NFC. Jared, Jared Goff looking at this weekend has to feel like, uh, like he's like William hung at the Grammys. (laughs) Right. Little throwback reference there, uh, but uh, just completely outclassed and yeah. just knows he has no business being in the room. Yeah, she bang, she bang. Yikes! Yeah, I'll go. Uh, I'll go. For me, the most intriguing game is Bills Ravens, and then I will go Chiefs Browns two, simply because of Baker and and Mahomes, not because of like how competitive I Match think it's going to be. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I think it's the Geezers three and Aaron Rodgers Jared Goff four. There's a chance for snow in that Buffalo game, which, ooh, that 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 that'll be fun. Yeah, to see Josh like because both quarterbacks can run. Yeah, like both teams are pretty physical. I know Buffalo is not as physical as you would expect a Buffalo team to be, but it's gonna be fun. Like I, I I'm really excited for this for this weekend, even with Kansas City being a ten point favorite, which is <laughs> insane. How would you like, bet that? For, Oh, man. I actually kind of like the take, Browns probably, to cover because they can run the ball, and I, I just don't, like... I'd probably still take Kansas City to cover. Really? Okay. Yeah, I just... Cleveland, yes, Cleveland can run the ball, but if Kansas City, Kansas City could easily be up three touchdowns by the middle of the second quarter, and then you yeah. can't, like, you just, you have to start passing the ball, and... yeah. I that's, just don't yeah, trust. that's true of anybody Kansas City plays. They can just get you out of your right. game plan so quickly. Right. Like, like, I, like I, I think I said it last week, Can, when Kansas City played Miami, Mahomes threw three picks in the first half, and they still scored 30 by halftime. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I, I, I would probably take Kansas City, even though a t- like 10 points in the playoffs is insane yeah. in the NFL. Like That's an insane spread. Yeah, just, it's just the start is so important to how how it how the game's played. If sure, yeah, I mean if if Kansas City opens up with a snap over Mahomes' head for a touchdown for Cleveland, then I mean that could change things. But if Kansas City comes out of the gates and scores a touchdown, <laughs> uh, yeah, Cleveland's gonna have to play. Yeah, it's it's. I'm excited though. I'm excited as a longtime Baker Mayfield fan since he was uh, in Pee Wee, uh, following his his games. I love it. What is the, what's the official Bills Ravens pick for you? Are you have you like settled on one? I know it's still early. Uh man, I, it's, a, it's a good Baltimore, matchup. It's a really good matchup. Yeah, the way that Baltimore's defense shut down Tennessee last week, which Tennessee, you could argue outside of Kansas City and Green Bay had the best offense in the NFL this year. Yeah. The way that they absolutely just shut down Derrick Henry and a lot, and I think Vrabel coached conservatively. I thought that Arthur Smith could have called a better game. Like I think that Tennessee's coaches let them down to an extent, but the way that Baltimore's defense played last week, Baltimore hasn't lost in what since like November. Like they've been on a huge roll. Lamar's been running the ball a lot more. I think I'd lean Baltimore in that game. Yeah, slightly though. Like I think it's gonna be a. Like a three point. I think it's going to be a field goal difference at at most. I think it's going to be an incredibly close game. Probably the closest game of the weekend, honestly. Yeah, I've got Ravens as well. I I just think their defense is a little better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, all right. Um, before I let you run, James Harden has basically said at this point that he thinks the damage is done and it's just best for uh, both sides to go their own way. Yeah, he's right. Just much like the Deshaun Watson thing. As a Rockets fan, by the way, so for those that don't know, as a Rockets fan, you are you're ready to just make the deal. Just take look. It, it, it's not like James Harden was only there for two years. He's been there for what, like eight years. They've had really good teams in, in his time there. They've made the conference finals uh, a couple times. Like they were a Chris Paul hamstring away from probably winning the NBA championship. Like if, if Chris Paul doesn't get hurt in that in that game against the Warriors, they're probably winning that 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 Western Conference final series, and they're definitely beating Cleveland in the finals that year. That Cleveland team was bad. Yeah. They weren't good. And so like the trade was worth it. Like no regrets for bringing James Harden into Houston. It's just it's run its course. Yeah. They they put all their chips in to get Chris Paul. Failed. They brought Russell Westbrook in, didn't work. And now you're just kind of you. You tried. Maury's gone. You you know you. D'Antoni's gone. Like just nothing is there that was part of that championship winning team a couple of years ago. Other, other than James Harden, right? And he wants out. And yeah. he's and he's he's out of shape right now. And he obviously it just doesn't want to be there. Again, culture is so important to winning in professional sports. If James Harden is sulking and showing up 15 pounds overweight to every game just move him and like just reset and just start over. I 100% believe that if James Harden had not thrown the public fit that he threw, and if he had just gone behind closed doors and said he wanted out and just made it crystal clear that he wanted out and, and didn't put on the, the public charade that he did, I think he would be in a different uniform today. I think for me, at least viewing this, the NBA has, 
kind of reached this slippery slope where the players have so much power that I think teams are doing their very best to take some of the power back. And absolutely. Yeah. And because there's the public perception of James Harden trying to demand his way out of town, I think this is all about perception. Houston is like kind of fighting back. Whereas I think if this had just been behind closed doors, it's a done deal. And he's, he's, he's gone already. Like, I, I think that because this got in front of the, the public that it's, it's all about perception and who actually has the power. Cause look, if you're an NBA team, you have to flex a little bit because what's it right now, there's nothing keeping anybody from signing one of these long-term deals. And then two or three years out saying I'm done. I want Maybe, out. Yeah. And then they're already locked into their next team. Yeah. It's just, yeah. I, I think that's a huge obstacle. And I think the fact, I, I just don't think there's anybody that wants James Harden, honestly, like there's teams that will take him, obviously like he's, one of the greatest offensive players in the history of the NBA, but yeah. like he's a headache. He doesn't play defense. He's out of shape right now. Like they're not going to get a lot in return for him. I think their best case scenario is Daryl Morey's gives him Ben Simmons. Yeah. It's sad it's because like he's a hall of famer, obviously he's he from yeah, just a sure. skill set standpoint. He's one of the probably top 50 players in the history of the game. Like he's one of the, the most, incredible he's, individual scores in the history of the NBA. All that said, I think he, yeah, yeah. He's a top five to seven offensive player in the history of the league. Yeah. All that said, now you're at a point where, you know, it's not like you're looking at, at him being 23 anymore. And I think a lot like guys like Carmelo Anthony and Russell Westbrook, you're at a point where I think considering what the future is and, you know, how much time a guy has left in their career and just, the overall usage, like James Harden's usage is so great that I don't know how many teams would want to bring him in for what it would cost to bring him in and then have to maybe sacrifice like their young players for James Harden being like 90% of your volume. You know, it's it's yeah. it's a really tough thing to do. Not that he doesn't make you better, but I mean, does it get you closer to a championship? Probably not. And then you're sacrificing what you could be five years down the road. That's why I think Philadelphia is probably the most likely landing spot because he like he would immediately like they're already a contender in the East, but I think getting James Harden and pairing with Embiid makes them significantly better than what they have with Ben Simmons. Yeah. Outside of that, it's gonna be like a random team, like maybe Chicago or like a Cleveland or like some like random team that's just desperate for something. Yeah is willing to bring him in, but there's no contenders. No. Like, he's going to have to open up his... He's going to have to open it up to go to a bad team if he really wants to get out of Houston. Right. Yeah, because, look, but, you're you're, just, you're not going to win a title with James Harden alone. No. And I don't think you sacrifice your future for him to come in and just, you know, run the show. I Like, it's... Are you going to be better? Yeah, because he's still a top 10 player in the NBA. Like, that's that's not... I'm not disputing that whatsoever. But when you when you just understand what you have to sacrifice in order for him to be your guy and just, you know, how his usage rate, the guys on his team aren't going to be significantly better. And, you're, I mean, you're, you're just, you're handing the keys over to a guy that is just going to, you know, be a, a one-man show, so to speak. Now, I think part of, I, I'm not giving him enough credit for, um, maybe, you know, passing. But, I mean, at the, at the end of the day, it is the James Harden show. So I, I think you're curbing young talent if you do that. And yeah. if you have young talent, I don't know why you would ever want to make that move because he's not going to single-handedly take you to the top. Yeah. Can I 
can I give you my dream scenario? Yeah. Just as from an entertainment standpoint where I want him to go. I would love to see him on Portland with Dame Lillard. <laughs> that would go terribly. Like there would be there would be nights where they are in unbelievably fun to watch oh, yeah. and you're like this team is amazing. <laughs> and then the next night like they're fighting over shots, like they're screaming at each other to give like, to give up the ball and like they're both shooting from 40 feet. Yeah. Like uh from an entertainment that would be awesome. And I hate the Trailblazers. So like to see that happen and it ultimately it burn up in their face. Like that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. I don't like the trailblazers either, but I, I, I'm a big Dame fan. So I like Dame too, but yeah, Brandon Roy has uh soured me on the trailblazers. Brandon Roy. Yeah. He had a buzzer beater and Dame Lillard hit that buzzer beater against the Rockets uh, to win the series. Yeah, Brandon Roy hit a buzzer beater against Houston in like 2006. Okay, I don't, I don't remember that. that. Moment, oh, it's a great <laughs> shot. You should definitely you should watch the highlights on YouTube. It's it's a great moment. Okay. But yeah, ever since then, I've just been like, oh man, F the Trailblazers. I'm like, who who hates Brandon Roy? I always thought he was pretty like likable dude. Just well, I, I like Brandon yeah. Roy. Okay, just, yeah, okay, just, fair enough. Just the fact that it was Portland, I was like, ah, screw Portland. Fair enough, fair enough. I get it. All right, man. I will let you run a uh, big, uh, big NFL weekend and we will catch up next Wednesday. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to go eat a salad. <laughs> when does that end? January 31st? Uh, yeah, I guess that would be my last day. So February okay. 1st, I'm, I'm eating a steak. I feel, yeah, I feel like I want to get you a steak on, on, I'm, uh, on February 1st. I, I, I'm definitely, uh, pigging out on some meat on, on the first, but fair enough. Go eat a salad for now. Good All luck, right, man. Get that energy level up. Take that B12. Thanks. See you. All right. Later, buddy. Once again, thanks to Aaron Davis for joining me as he does every Wednesday on the Colby Daniels podcast. This podcast is presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products from Kratom to CBD or the new Delta 8 capsules. When you order online, abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code Colby Show, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, Colby Show, to save 15% off your online order. I'm a customer. I, I appreciate that we're able to save you guys some money. Uh, obviously, everybody's getting stimulus checks, and, and I know a lot of people could use uh, the extra money. So I, I'm excited that we can save you 15% off your online order again at abotanicalcompany.com with the discount code Colby Show. Again, for Kratom, CBD, Delta 8, whatever it is you're looking for. And if you have questions about any of these items and how they can benefit you on a daily basis, Give them a call, 405-458-9699. Once again, if you haven't been watching the live streams or you're somebody that's been listening to the podcast with iTunes or Spotify or any of the other podcast platforms, uh, I've started putting all of these videos on YouTube. So if you want to just search Colby Daniels on YouTube, you'll find the channel. All the videos are there if you want to rewatch them or if you just want to watch it uh, after missing the live stream or only catching a portion of the live stream on a daily basis. So that's where those are. And uh, I appreciate you guys again, checking out the podcast every single day. It's been a ton of fun and and it's been good for me. I think in a lot of ways, just to uh, have something to kind of look forward to every day, uh, the daily show. So again, I appreciate you guys all. If you want to contact me, feel free to do so at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter, Colby.Daniels on Instagram. We've got a lot of fun stuff coming up on the podcast as well. There's going to be some some new built-in segments coming very shortly. 
Um, and, and look, I, I want to get you guys involved as well. So if, if you're somebody that listens to the podcast on a regular basis, um, you know, we don't really have the ability with a podcast to do like call-ins uh, like you would with a normal radio show or even, you know, the, the live Twitter interaction like we did with the show in the past. Um, give me a holler and, and maybe we can do like a one day a week, a, a, uh, listener segment where you guys join me for a few minutes and we can just talk about whatever's on your mind. So, uh, don't feel, don't, don't, uh, hesitate to, to reach out if you would be interested in doing that as well. So at Colby underscore Daniels on Twitter or Colby Daniels at Instagram, everybody have a great day, stay safe, and I will talk to you tomorrow.